Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Christ Church. Whether you're in the room with us here in East, whether you're joining us in the West or joining us online, we want to say welcome. Thank you so much for choosing to spend part of your Sunday morning with us here at Christ Church this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Nathan. I'm a vicar here at Christ Church, which is a fancy way of saying pastor in training. Next week, we're starting a new message series called Relational Vampires. So looking at uh, these relationships in our life that aren't always life-giving, but rather that can sometimes suck the life out of us. And so we're going to look at how we can deal with those relationships and how to put a Christian lens on those relationships and see how we ought to act as Christians in the midst of relationships like those. But this week we're doing a mini-series, just a one week, on the topic of run, which is this analogy that comes to us from these three verses in Hebrews 12. It's an analogy about running the race of the life of faith. We'll talk more about what exactly that looks like, but we're going to look and really focus in on these three verses. Now we'll look at a couple other verses to give us greater context around this uh, passage, but we're really going to focus in on just these three verses this morning. And so we'll start right away with the first half of verse 1, which says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Now right away we see this key word right at the beginning, therefore, which informs us when we see this in the Bible or really anywhere, that what comes after, so the passage we're going to be looking at, has to be informed by what comes before. And so to understand this passage, we're really going to have to understand what is happening in Hebrews chapter 11 And to do that, we kind of have to understand the entirety of the book of Hebrews as well. So what is the context behind the book of Hebrews? Well, I'll give you a spoiler as to why the book was written, what the purpose of the book was, was to prevent this term called apostasy, or turning away from faith. And so the author of Hebrews wanted the people reading this to continue to live a life of faith, or as he'll put it in the analogy, continue to run their race of the life of faith, despite the hard circumstances that they might be experiencing. Now, to understand books of the Bible, it's often really important to understand who wrote the book of the Bible, because if we understand who wrote it, it can help us understand better why they wrote it, what the purpose was, uh, and all of those kinds of questions. So, pop quiz, raise your hand if you know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Congrats, you all passed. We don't know. So if you weren't raising your hand, uh, you're correct. We don't know who wrote uh, the book of Hebrews. Now, some people will speculate. The most common speculation is that it was the Apostle Paul, or Pastor Paul as we sometimes call him, uh, who wrote the book of Hebrews. After all, he wrote 13 other books of the Bible. Uh, But most scholars today don't think it was probably Paul for a variety of reasons, although the author of Hebrews was probably trying to emulate Paul in how they wrote the text. Uh, There are some distinct differences that make it just seem a little bit different from Paul. Also, Paul's 13 letters that we have in the Bible begin with something along the lines of the phrase, Paul, an apostle of Christ. And so since Hebrews doesn't have that, probably wasn't Paul. But there are some clues as to who the author is. And so in chapter 2, the author says, So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? We know that this person was not there when Jesus was preaching the gospel and talking about salvation, right? Because it wasn't, he wasn't there when it was first announced, but then it was delivered to us, including the speaker, the author themselves, by those who did hear Jesus. 
And so this author is in the second generation of Christians, not the people who were directly interacting with Jesus. That probably takes out the 12 apostles, but someone who came directly after them, maybe someone who heard from the 12 apostles or knew some of them. And we do think that it was someone who was relevant and important and kind of a big figure in the early church because at the end of the book, he says, he or she says, I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released from jail. If he comes here soon, I will bring him with me to see you. Now, this Timothy likely uh, is the Timothy that the books first and, Timoth- first and Second Timothy were written to. The same Timothy who worked with Paul and did missions work with Paul and was an incredible figure in the early church. This is likely the same Timothy talking about here. After all, Timothy was often persecuted on his travels, and here we have that uh, again showing him being thrown into jail. But here he was released from jail. And so this person knew Timothy and knew these early church figures, and so he probably, he or she probably was important, an important figure in that early church. And so when, you, when the people who received this letter received it, it was given with a level of authority, that this person knew what they were talking about, and so it should be taken seriously. But who were these people? Who was the letter written to? Who was the audience of the book of Hebrews? Now, sometimes in the Bible, uh, especially with Paul, for example, he'll make it incredibly clear who he's writing to. He'll literally say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus, and then to the church in Ephesus or the church in Colossae, uh, which makes it incredibly obvious who the author is writing to. In this example of Hebrews, we don't know who he was writing to. Well, we have some idea. He, definitely, he or she definitely was writing to the Hebrew people to Jewish people, but a specific community of Jewish people. But we don't know exactly where they were. They could have been in Rome. Some people speculate Jerusalem. Some people speculate somewhere in between those two places. But it was this specific group of Hebrew people. There's uh, countless references in the book of Hebrews to Old Testament things, written in a way that presupposes that the people reading this letter would know about these stories, meaning they likely were Hebrew. And so that's why we get the name of the book to be the book of Hebrews. But this specific group of people probably was in somewhere in the late century, uh, the late first century AD. So somewhere between 50 and 100 AD. A lot of scholars will zero in on the 60s, somewhere between 60, 61, 62, 66, somewhere in that range. Uh, But some scholars will speculate a little bit later, but somewhere in that range, kind of that second generation, once again, of the Christian people of the early church. And if you're a Christian during this time, it wasn't always the best time to be a Christian. Look no further than Jesus himself died because of what he preached. Look at the lives of the 12 disciples. Eleven of them met in early death because of their faith. There were martyrs. There was persecution happening. If it was in the 60s, this would have been during the reign of Emperor Nero. And in Rome specifically, there was heavy persecution of Christians happening during this time. And so this is the context to which the author is writing. And in in chapter 10, verses 32 and onward, he says, Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Clearly, there's persecution happening and terrible suffering for this community. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, 
And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. This community had experienced incredible persecution. They were beaten. They were suffering. Many of them were thrown into jail. And so there's hard things happening. But this author is writing this book, this letter once again to these people with the message, even though life is hard, keep living a life of faith. Or as the analogy would put it, even though it's hard, even though life is difficult, don't stop running. Keep running your race of the life of faith. Back to verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Now, I absolutely love this phrase, this since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses. And in fact, the Greek, which this was originally written in, uh, it translates crowd, better translates to cloud. Uh, so this idea of a huge cloud of witnesses, which I love that spiritual, that ethereal imagery that comes to mind when you think of this cloud of witnesses surrounding us and helping to spur us on in our life of faith. But what cloud of witnesses is the author talking about? Well, that's where we have to go back to Hebrews 11, which is this incredible chapter of the Bible talking about the heroes of the faith. And since the author is writing to Jewish people, these are all examples from the Old Testament. And you may or may not know all the names on this list, uh, but the author goes through and talks about each of these people, and even a few more. These were just as many as I could fit on the slide. Uh, but I bet you'll know some of these names. The author talks about their incredible life of faith. And no, their lives of faith weren't perfect. We know many of them made big mistakes. But despite the hard circumstances they were going through, they kept living a life of faith. We can look at the example of Noah. Even though the whole world was going to flood, Noah showed faith in building the ark and getting two of every animal and doing what God had set before him. We can look at Abraham and Sarah, who despite being nearly 100 years old, God promised them a kid and they were able to have one and showed faith in that. We can look at Joseph, who's definitely experienced some hard times. His brothers wanted to kill him. They decided against it. They decided, ah, that's probably too much. So instead, we'll just sell him into slavery. And then later on, as a slave, he gets accused of a crime he did not commit and ends up being thrown into jail. And despite this, he was able to continue to live a life of faith, ended up interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, ended up being able to uh, store up food so that when the famine came, he was able to save the Israelites, his brothers, the ones who had thrown him into jail. Rather, once sold him into slavery, which resulted in him being thrown into jail. He showed faith despite the hard circumstances in his life. Or we can look at Moses, who, along with the Hebrew people, were all slaves in Egypt, and was able to show faith in leading his people out of slavery in Egypt. Or finally, we can look at David, 
who as a boy stared down a giant, Goliath, and won because of the faith that he showed. This is an example of this crowd of witnesses, this cloud of witnesses that the author is talking about, that all these people have gone before you, and despite their hard circumstances, they continue to live a life of faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, but to talk about what it means to live a life of faith, what that looks like, we have to understand what that is. What is a life of faith? Well, to define faith, we actually have a quote from Hebrews 11. The author defines it for us. The author says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. This isn't just believing in something you can't see, although it's certainly that. It is about the reality of what we hope for. It is about the evidence of things that we cannot see. Faith is so much more than just believing in something. There's things that make up our faith. There's the traditions we've grown up believing, the things that our parents have instilled upon us, and the churches we've gone to have instilled in us that help make up our faith. There's what makes reasonable sense to us that can help build up our faith. There's what Scripture tells us that helps establish our faith, and there's, too, what we have experienced. But not just what we have experienced, and I hope you've, you've experienced incredible things that God has done in your life, but we can look, too, at the people who have gone before us and seen the incredible ways God has been faithful in their lives, which helps spur them on to live a life of faith. And we just went through some of the people on the list, but despite their hard circumstances, God showed up for them. And God's goodness helped spur them on to continue living a life of faith despite the hard circumstances. And because of the evidence that they saw, they were able to continue living this life of faith. Faith isn't just something we hope for and believe in, but it is something that we know to be true because it is evident and we hope for it. Not in terms of just, oh, I hope this comes true, but with this hope and that we are looking forward to what is to come. All right, we made it through the first half of verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Finally, we get to the analogy of run, about running a race and running the race that God has set before us. So what does it look like to live a life of faith? It means to keep running. But to do so, make it easier for yourself. Don't run with the extra weight of the baggage of the world and the brokenness upon you. No, strip that off. Don't run by constantly tripping over sin that you see on the ground and you keep tripping over it, but continue to run by avoiding that. But don't run really fast and then stop. Don't run a sprint. No, run with endurance. The life of faith is certainly a marathon. It is not a sprint. And if you've ever trained for a marathon, or a half marathon, or a 5K, or a mile, or any race of any kind of distance, you'll know that it is a process, and it takes endurance. Yes, the race itself, but the training for it 
too. There'll be good days. There'll be bad days. There'll be days you don't want to train at all. But to be successful, it's about continuing to put one foot in front of the other. It's about continuing to run despite the hardships going on that day. And that's what the life of faith is about too, continuing to run despite what's happening around us. But the good news is, it's the race God has set before us. We're following the plans God has for us. We're following the path that God has laid before us. Running is hard enough just doing it. And if we're having to make decisions all the time and try to figure out the way to go, and certainly that's a part of life too, but if we just follow the path God has for us, it becomes a lot easier. It becomes about putting that one foot in front of the other and continuing to do what God has called us to do as opposed to looking around and tripping over sin and, and being weighed down by brokenness. But if you've ever tried to strip off every weight, if you've ever tried to avoid sin that trips us up, you probably know it's not that easy. And by our own strength, it's not even possible we can't do this on, this own, on our own, but rather we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and who perfects our faith. You see, when we focus on the brokenness in the world around us, when we focus on the sin that trips us up, life and running our race becomes a lot more difficult. But when we focus on Jesus, things become clearer, and that path before us becomes more obvious. And we can focus on Jesus because he is the champion. We've already talked about those who have gone before us and how they surround us and can spur us on in our race. But Jesus himself hasn't just run the race. No, he's won the race. He's the champion. He's already conquered over that brokenness of the world. He's already conquered over the sin in your life. He's already conquered over death too. Yes, the God who loved you so much, he chose to become like you and then die for you and was powerful enough to conquer over death itself. That God is running alongside of you. And he's there initiating your faith, sparking faith in you and perfecting it too. He's helping you become more like him and helping you to shed that brokenness and shed that sin from your life too. And he was able to do this because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Because of the joy awaiting Jesus, he was able to endure the pain on the cross. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, hey, God, the Father, speaking to his Father, if there's any other way, love to do that instead. But he knew the joy that was to come in the resurrection. And so he was able to endure the brokenness of this world. And when we think of all the hostility he endured, we think of the brokenness he conquered, the sin and the death he was able to overcome, then we too won't become weary and give up. We too will be able to continue to living a life of faith, to keep running our race Despite all the hard circumstances around us, we too will be able to run, to continue to run and chase after God.
Now, it doesn't take long looking around the world to see the brokenness that weighs us down. It doesn't take long to see the sin that can trip us up. Just living in the world right now, we're all experiencing inflation, which is making gas prices shoot through the moon and rents going up, and it costs more to just eat and stay alive. And that's weighing on so many people and so many families right now and weighing them down. Or you turn on the news and you hear about a war happening in Ukraine and what that could escalate to. Or you see what's happening in our country and the violence and the shootings, whether it's in the Deer District, at a shopping center in Buffalo, an elementary school in Texas. There is real sin and real brokenness in this world. And it can weigh us down. And it's hard to keep running our race. It is hard to keep running in the midst of these circumstances. But when we look to the joy ahead, we can keep running. When we look back on who has gone before us, and we remember that cloud of witnesses that surround us, it can spur us on in our faith. If you ever come to our tradition service here at Christ Church at 8 o'clock in the chapel, we say the Apostles' Creed every week, which is this core statement, this core uh, statements, rather, of the tenets kind of of our faith. And one of the phrases in that creed is this idea of the communion of saints. And it's one of my favorite things to think about, the communion of saints. What is the communion of saints? Well, the communion of saints most simply is a community of believers, And so together in this room, we are a community of believers. But it's more than just that. It's more than just the church gathered together at that moment. No, it's all churches across the world. All the people in the church, they are the church and they are part of this communion of saints. But it's not just us alive on the earth today. It is all the people who have gone before us too. All believers across all times are part of this communion of saints. And this communion of saints, when we look back on what they have experienced, what they have endured, and how they lived a life of faith, it can spur us on to continue to living a life of faith in our own lives too. It can inspire us to continue to run. Because we have hope, and we can look forward to the joy of the resurrection. Even though there's hardships and brokenness and sin in the world, We know we are running not by ourselves, but alongside a communion of saints and alongside Jesus himself. And so we can keep running and living a life of faith as we look forward to what is to come. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, Jesus, we thank you for what you have already done. We thank you for the sin and the death, and the brokenness that you have already conquered. And God, we thank you for that communion of saints. We thank you for the heroes of the faith. We thank you for those who have gone ahead of us and those who have gone before us. God, when we look around the world and we see sin and brokenness at every corner, and we look around the world and we think, how can this be? How can there be this much brokenness in the world? 
Help us to continue to run and live a life of faith. Help us to see your love and your presence in our lives and help us to be spurred on to continue to run alongside of you. Jesus, we know that you are running alongside of us and we know this can help us spur us on in our faith. And so we ask, Jesus, that in those moments where we are focusing on the brokenness and we are focusing on the sin, that you help us and remind us to focus on you. Help us to strip off ourselves, strip the weight off of ourselves so we can continue to run and make it a lot easier. Help us to see the sin around us and be able to avoid it and dodge it and not give in to those temptations so that we can continue to run and live a life of faith. And God, the path that you have set before us, help to make it clear, help to make it obvious so we can continue to run and to chase after you. Jesus, once again, we thank you for all you've done in our lives. We love you and we praise you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.